Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad you're with us. I'm David Brody. It's Wednesday, February 3rd, 2021. We begin today with Democrats on the move. So much for unity, folks. Uh, President Biden met with Democrats today in Washington in the Oval to discuss the way forward on a COVID stimulus bill. And all indications at this hour, at least, point to Democrats moving full speed ahead with their huge $1.9 trillion COVID stimulus enchilada of a bill. Maybe a deal will be struck with Republicans, but at this point, it doesn't look that way. We're going to discuss the latest also on Republican Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene. Her controversial statements of the past have landed her in some hot water with both Republicans and Democrats. And now, just today, House Democrats announced they are going to move forward with a vote to remove her from committee assignments. From her committee assignments, we're going to take a deeper dive. And Mayor Pete is now Transportation Secretary Pete. But for Pete's sake, what does this confirmation mean for the huge transportation infrastructure spending on the way? And by the way, what does it mean for your tax bill as well? So we're going to start to get some of those answers on that and many other congressional and budgetary questions with our first guest, former Trump economic advisor Steve Moore, is with us also, of course, an economist at Freedom Works. Hey, Steve, thanks for being here. I appreciate it. David, a pleasure to be with you. Thanks so much. Well, I want to start with these COVID-19 stimulus talks. Uh, Republicans want to do a smaller bill. Democrats seem like they plan to move much uh, forward on a much larger bill. So, So where is this going, Steve? Well, you let off the show with the perfect note, which is unfortunate, but so much for unity, right? Uh, Democrats have decided they're going to use a steamroller and just use their uh, very, very slim majorities in the House and Senate. I think it's what a six vote majority in the House and a one seat majority in the Senate to just plow over the Republicans and use the uh, uh, the you know the slim majorities they have. They're talking about a 1.9 trillion dollar spending bill. That's on top of the four roughly four trillion dollars that were spent last year on COVID. Uh, it is, uh, in my opinion, uh, a, a, a just a fiscal abomination. By the way, David, did you know? that there is still $1 trillion, according to the budget office, $1 trillion that hasn't been spent from the last bills. You know, they can't oh, even well. spend, the, these agencies can't spend the money as fast as Congress uh, and the Democrats and, and oftentimes Republicans are, are appropriating the money. We do not need a one, another $1.9 trillion spending bill. We need to get the vaccine out there, which, which uh, was happening under Trump and now it's happening under Biden. And we need to get these blue states to open up their economies to get people on the job. If you do that, you've got all the stimulus you need. Well, and Steve, you know, talking about blue states, this is where it seems like there's a big discrepancy between Republicans and Democrats. I mean, the state and local government funding, what in the world does that mean for COVID? In other words, Democrats have been wanting state and local government funding for a while. Republicans are like, well, wait a minute, where's that money going to exactly? I mean, to have Cuomo and Gavin Newsom just all of a sudden have a few hundred billion dollars or million dollars or whatever it is more, that, that seems like a real sticking point in these negotiations. 
Well, it's important for people to realize a very basic principle that sometimes nobody in Washington seems to understand. The federal government can only give money from, say, a, to a state like California if it takes money from other states, right? right? There's no magic money in Washington. So this is just a kabuki game of, of who pays and who collects. So this idea that we're going to somehow bail out uh, $450 billion of all the states, no. The purpose of this by the Democrats is to give money to other Democrats. And so Texas, I mean, I'm sorry, uh, California, New York, Illinois, New Jersey, Connecticut, Rhode Island, those states are going to get a lot of money because they shut down their economies. By the way, the formula is the higher the unemployment rate you have, the more money you get. So, gee, where is the money going to go? It's going to go to the states that so irresponsibly shut down their, their economies. Now, look, I believe in federalism. You do, too. States should be able to pretty much do what they want to. But when New York and California, Illinois screw up as they have for the last year, it is not fair to then go to the taxpayers in Texas and Tennessee and Florida and Utah and say, by the way, you have to pay more taxes mm -hmm. to make up for the huge mistakes that were made by people like Pritzker and Numa, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and people like Cuomo in New York. It just isn't fair. No, it makes total sense, Steve. I want to put up something from the Washington Examiner that just came out today, uh, and this kind of gives you an analysis. This is Biden relief plan would decrease wages after boosting output, uh, analyst, uh, analyst fine. Uh, this is what it said. President Biden's $1.9 trillion coronavirus recovery package is projected to boost GDP 0.6% in 2021, but will contribute to a decline in output in the following years and a dip in hourly wages, according to this report from the University of Pennsylvania's Penn Wharton budget model. What do you make of some of those numbers, Steve? So we've done our own analysis, which I think is probably more accurate. The one thing that is almost certain to happen is if they pass the bill as it's constructed right now with the increase in food stamps benefits and also the $400 a week uh, unemployment benefits, that's on top of normal benefits. Uh, we calculate, uh, David, that that pays about two thirds of the unemployed workers in America more money to stay unemployed to go back on the job. We estimate, I'm working with Casey Mulligan, one of the top uh, labor economists in the country at University of Chicago, that this will mean five to six million fewer jobs, fewer Americans working, because it's very simple, David. If you pay people more money not to work than to work, you're going to get people not working. And so this is not a stimulus bill. It's a de-stimulus bill. It's going to hurt the economy. I was good friends with Milton Friedman, maybe the greatest economist uh, since, Milton Fr since uh, Adam Smith. Milton Friedman used to say, you want to help the economy, you cut government spending, you don't increase it. I don't know where this crazy idea comes from that more government spending is good for the economy. The only way the government can give you $100, David, is to take it away from me. Again, there's no pixie dust money in Washington. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned uh, about a, a smaller economy, less federal government money, and Chuck Schumer and Democrats are saying the exact opposite. I want to play a little bit <laughs> of, uh, yeah, as you might imagine. Here's Thanks. Chuck Schumer talking about uh, no time to pinch pennies is what he says. Here he is. He and other bipartisan programs will struggle until we can vaccinate enough Americans to get the country back to normal. Facing these multifaceted challenges of a scale and scope larger than any event in the past hundred years, Congress must pursue a bold and robust course of action. It makes no sense to pinch pennies when so many Americans are struggling. You know, Steve, it makes me think of the war on poverty. How's that going with all the billions that have been yeah. spent since, since yeah, we, 1960? We only spent 100, uh, something like 100 trillion on that over the last 30 years, and and uh, and that didn't work out so well. Uh, it's amazing how how generous Chuck Schumer is with other other people's money, isn't it? <laughs> um, 
so look, the whole we cut spending under you know uh, Reagan and other presidents to get the economy going. Uh, why is it if the Democrats are so concerned about jobs and look, everybody should be concerned about jobs. We lost a lot of them through the pandemic. Why would you then start out and cut the get rid of the Keystone Pipeline? I mean, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's fifteen thousand, really. And those, by the way, David, those aren't fifteen dollar an hour jobs. Those are fifty, sixty, seventy, eighty dollar an hour jobs. And with one stroke of the pen, Joe Biden, who says we're going to put jobs first, kills fifteen thousand jobs. And of course, they're not going to allow oil and gas drilling on public lands. That's another thousands of jobs, uh, you know, eliminated. These people have to figure out what their priority is. Right now, it seems like it's giving more money to their Democrat, to the teachers unions and Democratic governors and, and mayors and using their political power to do it. And then this absurd, you know, climate change agenda, which for most Americans, what we care about is getting our schools open, getting the jobs back, mm -hmm. you know, getting making sure that our, our uh, streets are safe. Uh, and, and the Democrats priority is, is climate change. I mean, that's out of whack where where more Americans are right now in terms of their priorities. Uh, Steve, Joe Biden, uh, President Biden talked about these executive orders and why he's signing so many of them. This is what he said in the Oval Office the other day. I want to make it clear. There's a lot of talk with good reason about the number of executive orders that I've signed. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them, that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I felt were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country. Uh, but pre-COVID, Steve, the economy was going gangbusters. Yeah, exactly. You know, one of the one of the first executive orders, uh, and this should make every American really angry. One of the first executive orders that uh, that the Joe Biden reversed. Do you remember, David, when Trump said when he was running for president, for every new regulation, I'm going to repeal two. Remember yep. when he said yep. that? Yep. Right. Well, we, we he codified that into this uh, executive order uh, that basically was a deregulation measure. Uh, and he, not only did he uh, eliminate two uh, regulations for every new re regulation, it, it, the final ratio was like five regulations repealed. David, this is what helped propel our economy. We got the tentacles of government off of out of the uh, business of our small businesses uh, because they pay the price for all of these crazy regulations and it, and it unleashed them. And we had, as you said, we had the lowest poverty rate in, the, in American history, lowest unemployment rate in American history, biggest wage gains in 20 years. We And by the way, the minorities made the most uh, economic gain and Biden is going systematically and reversing that. And I'm here to tell you, if you turn the dial in the other direction, you're going to get the other results. The people are going to suffer the most from Joe Biden's agenda are minorities, low-income people, because they're the first people who get laid off. Yeah. Hey, by the way, I've got about 30 seconds before we get out of here, or at least give, give me a 30-second answer on this. Pete Buttigieg is transportation secretary, talking about a lot of infrastructure spending, but no one's telling anybody how they're going to pay for it. We need. Uh, we definitely need to modernize our infrastructure. We need roads, bridges. We need a better electronic grid system. Uh, those kinds of things. But what uh, Biden uh, is talking about, I'm sure, as Treasurer's uh, Transportation Secretary, are going to be talking about is solar panels and mass transit and things that are not a high priority. Let's get our roads and bridges fixed so we all feel safe and and we can get out of the traffic gridlock that hopefully will come back when we get this economy up and running again. Yeah, Steve Moore dropping the economic mic. Boom. Steve Moore is out. I appreciate it, Steve. Thanks so much.
Thanks so much for having me. Thank, congratulations on the new show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Steve. All right. Uh, hopefully, uh, he'll send a, a well-wishing well card, I guess. I mean, I, we save cards. I mean, if he sent me a card, let me give you my home address. No, no, I better not do that. Never mind. Filter. All right. When we come back, uh, Liz Harrington, uh, former Republican national spokesman, has got a few things to speak about when it comes to Marjorie Taylor Greene. Back in a moment. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, we're going to talk about the future of the Republican Party and Marjorie Taylor Greene in just a moment. But before that, I don't want to bury the lead because guess what it's time for? I feel like everybody at home should shout it out. Can we just do that? The poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. That is such cheesy music. The cheesier the better here at the water cooler. Hey, so here's a question. Uh, what should happen if schools are reopened for in-person learning and teachers refuse to return to the classroom? That's our poll today. Well, the teachers who refuse to work should be fired. Oh, my goodness gracious. 18% of people thought that. Uh, the teachers who refuse should be suspended without pay. Whoa, 21% say that. The teachers should be allowed to stay home and get paid for virtual instruction. Most people, 45% say that. 16% say not sure. Why are you bothering me? I'm really just trying to cook dinner and put the kids to bed. Anyhow, so that is the uh, poll of the day here on the water cooler. All right, let's bring in Liz Harrington, former GOP national spokeswoman and editor-in-chief of The War Room. Uh, uh, Liz, good to see you, as always. Good to see you, David. Marjorie Taylor Greene, I got a lot to say about this. Uh, I'm curious what you have to say, but, but let me just say right off the bat, I, I just feel like this is like with the Demo what the Democrats are trying to do here is like all of a sudden anybody that's a Republican is all of a sudden Marjorie Taylor Greene. I feel like they're trying to lump all Republicans together on this. But what's your take on this? Well, I think it's even worse than that. They're actually trying to cancel 80 million Americans, 75 million minimum Americans just because they voted for President Trump. Uh, they're trying to lump us all together as domestic terrorists, which is a flat falsehood. And I'm more concerned about, well, what are you doing in office? How are you representing your constituents? Because Marjorie Taylor Greene, you know what she did the first day in office? She filed impeachment resolution, an impeachment resolution against Joe Biden. Now, unlike Liz Cheney, who joined the impeachment against the leader of her party, President Donald J. Trump. So we want to we want our elected officials to actually represent us and not go along with the Democrats who their goal is very clear and it's very anti-freedom and they will cancel all of our rights, uh, not just of um, anybody who might have more controversial views. No, they think all of us should be canceled. So we need to draw the line here. So, so just so I understand, you're able to, in essence, separate some of what she's saying from a controversial standpoint from what should happen to her from a stripping her of her committee standpoint and all of that. Well, I think the bigger problem with the Republican Party is not representing our voters. And that's the Liz Cheney in leadership. That's the problem. I mean, the left wants us to pick each other apart right. and to divide us and to 
smear half the country. That's what they want us to do. But we need to focus on what do the voters actually want? What do the American people actually want? They don't want the endless wars. They want to go back to work. They want to be able to freely worship. They want to be able to get on a plane without, you know, being getting extra scrutiny because you saw a speech by the president of the United States. That's not America. So I think we need to focus on the more important things. The left and the media want us to all go against Marjorie Taylor Greene. I reject that. I think she has really represented her constituents more than a lot of the leaders of the Republican Party have, especially since November 3rd. Well, I was going to ask you about one of those leaders. I mean, I don't want to start to, you know, point out some folks, but you know, Kevin McCarthy's in a tough spot here. I mean, you know, he has a party to look after, and he thinks that the, the Marjorie Taylor Greene situation is putting uh, some some tough pressure on House, not just House leadership, but the overall kind of persona of the Republican Party. Well, I, I disagree with that. I mean, okay. what's going to hurt the Republican brand is going and joining the Democrats and impeaching the most popular Republican we've had in modern history. Right. That's hurting the Republican brand. You know what's hurting the Republican brand? It's not saying the truth that this election was stolen. It's not going after these different state legislatures and going back to the states and saying, we need to fix election integrity. Instead, they just say, oh no, we gotta wash our hands, we gotta move on. They wanna cancel President Trump just as much as everyone else does in the big, in big media and big tech. What Republicans need to do, what would be helpful for our party is to start acting like Republicans, start protecting our fundamental freedoms, start holding people accountable for breaking the law, start enforcing election laws. That's what we need. We need one standard of justice in this country, and we need to stop selling out America's interests to Chinese communists or to the lobbyists in Washington and the special interests who have no, no interest of the American people at heart. Liz, you, there are some full-fledged conservatives like yourself who, who believe that the, this election was stolen. There's tens of millions of people who believe that. There are some conservatives uh, and Republicans who have backed away from that, at least uh, maybe some of the traditional Republicans. Uh, what's your message to folks like, like that? We're never going to win any future battle if we don't fight on this issue now. And that's mm -hmm. what's so troubling here. If we just say, oh, we can't talk about this anymore, we have to move on, that emboldens the people who stole this election. They will do it a million times over and we'll never win elections again. We have to get to the bottom of it and just do investigations. Just look at the facts, look at the evidence. And that's why I think it's very important this upcoming second, second impeachment for something Donald J. Trump did not do. Use it as an opportunity to dig into the facts on the ground, what happened in Georgia, what happened in Wisconsin, in Michigan, in Pennsylvania and Arizona, and look at the election laws across the board and get to the bottom of the corruption and root it out. That's the future for our country here. That's what's at stake. And all, every single Republican, Republican or Democrat, should want the answer to these questions. They should demand it. 
Otherwise, we'll never have a free and fair election in this country again. Liz Harrington, editor-in-chief of The War Room, really appreciate it. And, of course, former Republican Party spokesman. So uh, strong words coming from you, and we appreciate you uh, being so uh, truthful and, and telling it like it is. Thanks, Liz. Thank you. All right, Liz Harrington. I love having her on because, look, hey, hello, newsflash, you know where she stands for sure. All right, when we come back, uh, have you heard that we do still have a U.S. Constitution in this country? I know, I know, it's hard to find at times, but it's there. Uh, Rick Green, America's Constitution coach, will be here to talk about that, the Democrats, and Stalin. Yes, all in the same sentence. Back in a moment. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. love this segment. You know why? Because Rick Green is on, America's Constitution coach, and we love to have Rick Green on the show. Hey, Rick, uh, great to see you, by the way. Hey, you too, brother. Good to be back with you. Well, listen, here's your choice, by the way. I want to set this up right now. You can be interviewed by me or Bernie Sanders. So my question is, do you want me or do you want Bernie Sanders? Oh, life is full of tough choices. This is, this is one of those that could determine the fate of, of our future, the fate of the free world. So I choose you, man. I choose you. Please, no more Bernie. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> oh, the, the control room, literally, you should hear them. They're clapping. Uh, first time I think it's ever happened. All right. So, oh, goodness, this show has gone off the rails already. Uh, all right, I'm Rick. I'm a bad influence. I, I, I shouldn't have started it no, last week. Yeah. I, yep. I yep. know. It did go that way. Okay. So uh, the impeachment trial, uh, it's coming yeah. up. Uh, they're going to argue, they, the Trump lawyers, are going to argue this is totally unconstitutional. And I thought to myself, well, I heard the word constitution. So let's bring Rick Green on. What do you think, Rick? You know, Madison had a great quote. He said, the constitution is a limited one, giving no power, not actually given. Now, that's pretty plain language uh, for a country boy like me. Even that makes sense. It has no power given the federal government that is not actually listed in the Constitution. So we have to take the founders at their words. What does the Constitution actually say? That we're going to remove someone from office when we impeach them. If they're not in office anymore, they cannot be removed. As we talked about last week, this was settled in 1799, at least for the founding era, whenever William Blunt was impeached and the Senate said, he's no longer in the Senate. We're not going to uh, do something to someone that the Constitution does not give us the power to do. Of course, you know, a lot of people are pointing to this Secretary of War uh, from 1876. No founders alive at that time. So if there's debate on this, we should look to the original intent of the constitutional language that we're talking about here. And I think that's what Trump's lawyers are going to argue is, look, there's no constitutional authority given to the United States Senate or the United States House over ordinary citizens. If you are not, no longer the president, the vice president or a civil officer, then the impeachment clauses do not apply to you. Rick, what's the bigger danger here? It seems to me like this could be, in essence, a, a bit of the playbook from a communist manifesto in a way. I mean, it kind of brings up, uh, I think you were writing a little bit about St Stalin's show trials. Talk to us about that. 
Man, it's a lot like that. It's it's all about silencing the opposition. Uh, they know full well this is unprecedented and unconstitutional, but it doesn't matter to them. It, the rhetoric that they use is extreme. It's uh, it's almost like they're foaming at the mouth to get rid of an enemy. Uh, they they they, uh, they they're they're a little bit worse in some ways because um, they're not just indicting and going after Donald Trump. They're going after the entire movement. Uh, Democrats are asking for members of Congress to be removed. Uh, simply for raising their hand and asking questions or objecting. Same thing Democrats did for years. And so what Stalin did in the late 30s was he had show trials where he used them to silence the opposition and consolidate his power. I'll give you a, a parallel. Back then, this was about 1938, there was about 150 entertainers in America. They got together and wrote a letter in support of these show trials, basically saying in their editorial uh, that this was good justice. This was that that there was uh, you know that there there were crimes behind this. That Stalin was doing the right thing. They supported what Stalin was doing, and there were reporters that got uh, you know Pulitzer prizes uh, for 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 doing what they did in supporting Stalin with this. Very embarrassed later on, and I say the parallel is because there are 150, about the same number as the entertainers back then supposed experts or constitutional scholars that have signed a letter saying that they too think uh, that this trial is okay, that you can impeach a former president. Most all of them are never Trumpers. They're sort of like, uh, frankly, Pelosi and Schumer, just wanting to get rid of Trump. So I would just encourage people, when you hear a constitutional debate like this, what a great opportunity to go to the founding fathers themselves. We should always go to the source. And when we go to the source, there is nothing in any of the Federalist Papers. There's nothing in the Constitution itself that would suggest that we should be able to impeach a former officer. In England, they did that, mm -hmm. but not in the United States of America. Rick, we get emails all the time from concerned viewers saying they believe that we've lost the country. They're concerned about where this country, where this country is going. Do we even have a Constitution today? Of course we do. Uh, but uh, what's your message to them, the despondency that many of them feel about how we're losing the republic. There's no doubt that we are. Uh, the good news is that we can save the republic. The system still works if we'll work the system. We have to be more engaged in this, and we have to bring the Constitution back. We live under, David, right now what I call the Constitution. In other words, the Constitution's still there. The words on paper are there. And there's a reason the founders wanted us to be a constitutional republic. It's so that the rules would be in writing. The problem is that we've allowed the Supreme Court to change the document over the last 50 years, really over the last 90 years, they have tweaked and changed with no authority whatsoever. The Constitution doesn't give the court the power to change the Constitution. Only we, the people, can do that through the amendment process of Article 5. But long story short, the court rulings over the last 90 years have become the new Constitution, what I call the Constitution. We need to overrule the Constitution and come back to the Constitution. And the founders gave us a tool for that right there in Article 5. It's called a Convention of States for Proposing Amendments. And when we do that, it's state legislators from around the country coming together, not the federal government, not our congressmen. It's state legislators. And what they're doing is they're grabbing the power from the feds, bringing it back to the states and saying to the federal government, Rick, have you, uh, you've frozen. Are you there still? <laughs> Rick Green, you were right in the middle of something wonderful. Are you there? Uh, I think we lost Rick Green. What happened? 
Did the Democrats cut him off? <laughs> uh, well, anyhow, I don't know. I, I think literally he might have been censored uh, as we speak. Uh, hopefully we'll get him back. But you knew where he was going. He's talking about the convention of states. And the truth of the matter is there was a movement afoot in this group about the convention of states. There are many, at least 30 or so, state legislatures uh, that have approved the amendment process. They, in other words, they want amendments to the Constitution change. Of course, you need three quarters of states to actually pass a new amendment to the Constitution, and that's exactly uh, what he's talking about. Mark Levin has talked about this for a long time. Once again, the convention of states actually in the Constitution. He mentioned Article 5, and we're going to have to have Rick Green uh, back on uh, some other time uh, to talk about that, because that's a whole nother ball of wax, and quite frankly, that is the end game here, folks. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that if the Constitution is under attack, uh, the only way you're going to really be able to save it is to make amendments to it to prevent possible tyranny uh, from continuing in this country. And that's why the Convention of States uh, could be very popular. Now, just understand, there are the AOCs and the Bernie Sanders of the world who are, when they hear Convention of States, they're thinking of a few amendments themselves from a liberal perspective. But once again, you need three quarters of all states in the country to pass an amendment to the Constitution. We'll have Rick Green back on another time to talk about it. Uh, he's frozen somewhere in time. But in our hearts, he's right here all the time. All right, we're back in a moment with uh, Aubrey Shines, host of a new show here on Real America's Voice. Back in a Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Hey, there's a new show on Real America's Voice. It debuts February 13th. Aubrey Shines is going to be hosting this new show. It's called, you're going to love this title, America Shines with Aubrey Shines. We're looking at leaders that are no longer speaking out on issues. The Democratic Party's objective is to his parent view. Now that's a spiffy open. And speaking of the open and the show, guess who's here? <laughs> Aubrey Shines. <laughs> Aubrey Shines, great to uh, see you, sir. Thanks. Thanks. Love being here. And thanks for having congratulations. me. Congratulations. Thank you. Looking forward to this. Yeah. I think we're going to have a great time. Yeah, well, tell us. <clears throat> tell us about the premise of the show. What can people expect uh, sure. every week? I guess February 13th is Correct. the debut. So yeah, tell us. Yeah, 1 o'clock. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> Pardon me. Eastern Standard Time. Mm -hmm. It's going to be interesting. We're going to approach this from a cultural, historical, factual base. Mm -hmm. No emotion as it relates to just people's opinion. Uh, we believe in science, the science of history as it's reported, not a revisionist perspective. Hmm. We're gonna tackle cultural issues. How do they impact? What is the result of it? Does it matter if you vote? Should it? Why does it? We're going to address those type of issues because this is what we're hearing, David, that's resonating everywhere. Mm -hmm. And because of our experience in the past, what we've been able to do is kind of take a temperature, a real gauge of what's really out there. And unfortunately, the voices that are not being heard. Mm -hmm. We're going to dispel the narratives. Things like police are on a stalk to kill certain ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. We're going to examine it. Is it historical? Is it data that is based on science? Or is it just talking points 
in the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. We're going to address all those type of topics. You know what's really interesting? You mentioned cultural. You know, there are shows that address cultural issues, but you mentioned cultural and historical. Yeah. And I think that's really important because today, uh, especially in a younger generation, and not just the younger generation, even today's generation, or, you know, older mm -hmm. generations, we're losing that sense of the historical nature of our country from a Judeo-Christian yeah. standpoint, and really from an education standpoint, so people understand, you know, where we have been so we can look forward to where we need to go. Well, I, you know, I did a piece once, and I think the Times picked it up as an op-ed, mm -hmm. and they asked me a question, and it was interesting. They asked, well, don't you believe there's systemic racism? I said, well, absolutely. But then if we're historically accurate, we have to say where it came from. There was a political party called the Democrat. Again, I can't make this up. Right. It's in our history books. This is the party that fought blacks, 13, 14, 15th Amendments, didn't want blacks to have anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Same, by the way, political party that gave us the KKK. It gave us Jim Crow laws. Mm -hmm. And it's still, it to this day, is marginalizing people based on the color of their skin or their gender. I'm just simply saying, if that's your belief, you can be an atheist. This is the beauty of America. Yeah. Be what you choose. But let's not disguise it in the name of it's racist because it's white or it's from some rural area. Mm -hmm. that's, that's insanity. Yeah. We're going to expose those issues, just as we did with the statues. I was called by a huh. reporter. He says, well, certainly someone like you, Aubrey, would be opposed to not tearing down these horrible statues of the past. I said, let me ask you a question. Is it safe to say, I don't know, five or 10 years from now, when the mass media begins to report on the fact that Dr. Martin Luther King actually was opposed to abortion. He was mm. pro-traditional marriage. Should we take a march and topple King as well? Mm -hmm. Where do we stop if we don't address these issues intellectually from a civil position, mm -hmm. using diplomacy, David will lose this nation and none of us will be the better for it. That's really interesting. I was just reading about how some of these liberals right now are talking about Helen Keller was a benefit of white privilege, for example. So, I mean, you know, where does this wow. go? Yeah, exactly. Where yeah. does this go? Um, tell us about your book, because your book really does, in, in a very strong way, probably tie into some of what you're going to be talking about. Uh, here it is, Eight Questions About Race. Uh, and boy, this, this book took off like a wildfire. Yeah. Tell us about it. Yeah, it did. So I just simply begin, again, intellectually, not from an opinion, because I do have them, but it, it's not worth a lot if we cannot find out how do we juxtapose fact reality versus what we're hearing on, in a constant stream of media. Mm -hmm. I address eight questions about race. I address questions about uh, our police races based on, based on what dynamic. And I found that to be very interesting for one purpose. If police are racist and they've only, quote, killed eight people that are alone, in their mind at least, mm -hmm. th this horrible, horrible uh, ethnic group, then what do we say about the 7,000 blacks that kill blacks every single year? Yeah. Is that racist? Are the blacks that are doing racist? Mm -hmm. Well, according to critical race theorists, they are. They're actually, even though you're black, you're actually operating because you've really been influenced by a white supremacist group. That's Marxism. We exposed <laughs> it. We begin to, and I, I can't help this pun here, David, we shine the light so nice on that so good to make sure that people understood that what you're hearing is just not true mm -hmm. now we're called names for it not because they argue against our data mm -hmm. they're just hating the fact 
that someone is saying it that they don't like. Yeah. And so we're going to deal with those type of topics. Well, I take it the, the BLM movement, the Black Lives Matter movement, will come up quite a bit because it's interesting. It's Black Lives Matter. Of course, Black Lives Matter. I mean, but but this idea of what the BLM movement stands for yeah. and some of their principles, really the media has pretty much ignored this. Well, they intentionally ignored it because right. my grandfather, who died fighting in a war to make sure that we were liberated from this ideal of Marxism in World War II, mm -hmm. uh, he fought against that type of ideology. Mm -hmm. It's called Marxism. They don't believe that individuals are actually made by God, which is their choice. Mm -hmm. But then don't force <laughs> your narrative choice. down my throat mm -hmm. because we have a different position. Mm -hmm. And so I exposed a light on who the BLM movement founders are. Case in point, mm -hmm. they are devout Marxists. They said, we are a Marxist organization. But we did a study subsequent to that, mm -hmm. and we found that the majority of the mainstream media never talked about it. They never talked about their yeah. origin, who they were, and what they believed in. We did it, and that's why the book did very, very well. As we wrap up, uh, tell us everybody about your show again. Tell us when it debuts sure. and where they can catch it. 13th well, of yeah. February, mm -hmm. 1 o'clock. It's going to be powerful. Mm -hmm. We're, we're, we're going to have just an array of, of topic, and uh, I think we're going to really allow on that show to see America shining. That's why it's America Shines. I love it. Yeah. It's a real, real positive, ultimately uplifting message. Absolutely. For sure. All right, Aubrey, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks again. And congrats on the show. Yeah, thanks again. All right. Uh, when we come up, uh, when we come up, when we come back, we'll go up, we go down, we come back. Uh, the last sip coming up. Interesting. We're going to talk about boys and women's sports. Welcome back uh, to the water cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. Hey, here's a question. Should boys be allowed to compete with girls in athletics? You would probably say no. Well, what if they're transgender boys? Well, they're still boys, technically. So anyhow, it came up with Senator Rand Paul today. He was um, uh, talking to Miguel Cardona, the new education secretary, about to be education secretary, and here was their conversation. Watch for Bernie, by the way. So you don't have a problem then with boys running in the girls' track meet, swimming meets, name it. You're okay then with boys competing with girls? Respectfully, Senator, I think I answered the question. I believe schools should offer the opportunity for students to engage in extracurricular activities, even if they're transgender. I think that's their right. All right. Well, a lot of us think that that's bizarre, you know, not very fair. You know, I come from a family that has a lot of girls who have been, have competed in college athletics, have been state champions, and frankly, you know, some boy that's six foot two competing against my five foot four niece doesn't sound very fair. I think most people in the country think it's bizarre, you know, that it's just <laughs> completely bizarre and unfair that people, and you're going to run the Department of Education, you've got no problem with it. Um, that concerns me, and I, I think it's, this kind of thing is going to lead to really just the vast majority of America just wondering who are these people that think it's okay? From what planet are you from? I mean, to think it's okay that boys would compete with girls in a track meet, that that somehow would be fair. Um, I wonder where feminists are on this. I wonder where the people who supported women's sports are on this. I mean, we all going to be okay with hulking six foot four guys, you know, wrestling against girls. Do it, you know? It just makes no sense whatsoever. And so, I think the fact that you seem to be afraid to answer the question, or you basically do answer the question by saying it's okay without saying it's okay really is a statement to a, a real problem we have and uh, a disconnect between 
what middle America and what most Americans actually believe. I even think most Democrats don't believe girls should run in the, in the boys' track meet. Uh, you know, boys should run in the girls' track meet. So I'm disappointed in the answer, and uh, I just can't imagine that we're going to have a Ridiculous. Give me a break. Come on. I mean, are you, you're serious? Women should be up in arms about this. Men should be up in arms about this. Bernie Sanders should even be frustrated at the... Bernie, Bernie's liberal, but does, Bernie Sanders, what, what is Bernie Sanders doing here anyhow? Doing a Tom Cruise impersonation anyhow? Bernie, this is really creepy. I got to go. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. All right, end of the show. Uh, look who's in studio with us. This is a treat. Uh, Nick Ballacy, senior correspondent, justthenews.com. Nick, good to see you. Yes, great to see you, David. Uh, I tell you what. I'm looking for some wood paneling behind you. I don't see any <laughs> Skype wood paneling. This is, it's pretty intimidating that you're in studio, FYI. Well, it's great to be here. Is it really? It really is. All right, fine. Well, listen, you filled in for the Just the News AM show this morning. Yes, I did. So tell me some of your impressions. What was going on? What's some of the interviews you uh, were doing there? The show went really well. Mm -hmm. I thought one of the standout moments was the interview I did with Bruce Collins from C-SPAN. Mm. Uh, he's the general counsel from C-SPAN, uh -huh. and he is really familiar with the process that they've gone through over the years to get cameras in the House and Senate chamber. Because right now, mm. I think a lot of people don't realize that the feed they're seeing on C-SPAN of the House and Senate mm. is actually the House and Senate cameras. It's not C-SPAN's cameras. Right. And they've been trying since the 80s to get their cameras in the House and Senate, and they haven't been able to do it. So him and I talked about uh, his perception of the situation and kind of if he thinks the public has been affected, you know, their view of certain legislation and certain bills and the debate overall mm -hmm. in Congress. And, and, and he said that he thinks in a way they have. I mentioned a, an example, which was during the CARES Act, right? Mm -hmm. You saw a voice vote. Not every member was present, okay. and then there were some objections. But the public didn't see the whole chamber to kind of see who was standing, who was objecting, who may have been speaking in the, in the audience. And he was saying, as an example, when, if there's a disruption in the gallery mm -hmm. or if there's something like that, that CARES Act situation, the public is only seeing that fixed shot right. of the House and Senate cameras. But if it was a C-SPAN camera, they could go wider, turn around, whatever they need to do, right? That's it. They could be more journalistic with it. They could show a reaction. They could show you a wide shot so you see everything like, oh, look, look what Senator so-and-so is doing or, you know, but they don't see that. So he huh. said that they're, they always send letters to the leadership uh, on, mm -hmm. on the House and Senate and they're going to keep trying, you know, to to make their case, but he, he doesn't think anytime soon C-SPAN is going to be able to get their cameras in there. That's interesting. It's kind of like, dare I say, state-run TV. And it's, it's... I'm just saying. And actually, he used that, that term. State-run TV is, is where, uh, what it looks like with, without C-SPAN control. Wow. All right, Nick Balsey, good to see you, sir. Thank You'll be you. filling in the rest of the week. Yes. All right. Just, yep. just the News AM with Nick Balsey this week. Uh, check it out. Hey, tomorrow, Senator Jim DeMint and quite a few others. See you tomorrow.